In the climate-ravaged year of 2072, the city of Pura stands as a miraculous green haven, a geoengineered paradise that protects fortunate residents from the global catastrophes of heat domes, fires, floods, and droughts. Demetria Lopez heads up Pura's public relations, tirelessly promoting the city's idyllic image. But when she stumbles upon a dark secret that, if exposed, would be the downfall of Pura's existence, she must decide who and what she is willing to protect. From Wondery, the makers of Academy and Dr. Death, The Last City stars actors Reyes Seahorn, Jeannie Tirado, and Maury Sterling. Follow The Last City on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts. You can binge all episodes of The Last City early and ad-free right now by joining Wondery+. Plus. Listener discretion is advised, as this content is intended for adult audiences only. Signal. Q Code presents Hidden Signal, Eidolon. Bright House has gone all out on tonight's party. The suits blew more money than usual flying guests in from across the country. By seven, the driveway is already filled with security vans crammed alongside luxury sports cars. The whole place is a madhouse. Some B-list actor's bodyguard actually tackled Thrace on his way back from 7-Eleven with bean burgers. People who typically exist inside a screen crowd the backyard. Celebrities, music producers, real housewives, acting CFOs, and senators. The sort of big names a poor kid like me growing up in Atlanta never imagined seeing from the highest stands of a stadium, let alone on my way out of the bathroom. At some point, I spotted the Secretary General talking to Rome 69 by the buffet table, a 70-something boomer in a corduroy suit chatting up a black teenager sporting multicolored dreads. What in good fucking God could they be talking about? Instead of finding out, I play host with Sweet Thugger showing invitees around the house keeping my hand on her back while we both do our best to make it clear how much we're screwing. Sweets ordered this tight black dress just for tonight that exposes her back and most of her legs. My fingers massage the scars along her spine while I tell Kendra Blair from that true crime network how I made it to the Bright House, sticking to what the suits call the sensitized version and explaining how house agents rang me up after one of my thirst traps hit a million views. Sweets and I aren't the only ones touching. So many of these TV creeps squeeze my biceps and comment on my tattoos that if someone turned a black light on me, I'd blur out the few stars left above Beverly Hills. People love to touch eddies, like our bodies have some magic they can steal if only they can hold on long enough. I am a screen person now, too, so I smile through it all. Around nine, the two of us end up in a beanbag chair by the pool. All the guests stay crowded around the house, the light of the house sending out crooked shadows of their silhouettes across the freshly mowed lawn. Sweets and I tickle each other, laughing as we pretend to not notice the photographers snapping our pictures. Danny West, a voice roars up from the hill right before two guys push through the crowd and bulldoze a server carrying sushi sticks as they head straight for us. It's Jezel Train and Big Stub. 
Both are wearing shirts with Blackjack's King of Spades logo on the front. The guests turn, tracking the duo's path towards the pool. There is no graceful way to get out of a beanbag chair, so I sort of seesaw my way into a standing position. Jezel Train stops out of arm's reach and points at Sweets like he just discovered a new continent. What the fuck are you doing, Danny? That is Blackjack's girl. Oh? I grin back, eyes flicking to Sweets, who poses with an exaggerated expression perfect for a video thumbnail. Then why doesn't Blackjack come and get her? The house speakers transition between songs. All the muffled chatter goes silent. Some actor who starred in a syndicated crime show holds up his phone, and I think I can see all the viewers crowded inside the black pit of the camera's eye. Fun fact about Eddie's, we know exactly what we look like. All about the strange curves of the back of our heads, lean of our necks, how we shift our posture when we enter a crowded room, and every possible way our face might crease or stretch with the odd smile or frown. Jezel stabs his fingers over at me. Blackjack is going to wipe the floor with you tomorrow. You don't just disrespect a man like that. <laughs> he keeps talking, but I stop listening. Instead, I bend down and pick up an iPad laying on an empty paper plate by the edge of the pool. Wiping off a few water droplets, I heft the tablet, get a good sense of its weight, and then fast pitch it into Jezel's face. It connects where his nose meets his eyebrows. Jezel crumples as blood pours from his scruffy cheeks. Some sad girl pop song starts to play. This is cheap violence, but it is what I do. All around the yard and patio, guests stare. None are surprised. And Eddie is an Eddie, after all. They judge me, but I'm the one feeding them. I see the hidden glee. The thrill these screen people get from being this close to me. Big Stub looks down at his friend and then backs up. I am still all smiles because I know some hype kid won't come at me. I am a weapon. And everything about me advertises that. Jezel keeps moaning and squirming. There's no way to tell how much of his pain is real and how much is for the cameras. Not that it really matters. I take a step forward, so I'm looming over Jezel before I speak into the crowd like it's one freak-faced person. Listen up, Blackjack. Sweets chose me. And it's over between you two. Tomorrow, this row is gonna be personal. And I'll take you down in the first ten seconds. All your patrons, they're not gonna do shit for you. The crowd claps. Few people raise their glasses like I just made a toast at a wedding. <laughs> Everything is just right. Until I notice a kid standing by the doors leading into the kitchen. Bright House has a rule about nobody under 16 being allowed on the property. But some middle-aged YouTuber has smuggled in his whole family, including a pudgy preteen with curly hair and Harry Potter glasses. The kid can't be older than 13. He's watching me with this huge, stupid grin like I just cured his cancer. On his shirt stretched out by baby fat is a decal of my own face. His chub balloons out my features, making them look scary and monster-like. 
although the face still has the same exact crooked smile that I am wearing right now. I go to the bathroom and throw up. It's something I do. My anxiety gets pretty bad before a row. Earlier today, I swiped some pills out of my manager's bag, but they tasted like ash and only made my jaw lock up. Washing them down with a rum and coke only made it worse. While I'm heaving, I hear the bathroom door open outside my stall. Bright House is three stories and 100,000 square feet. This bathroom alone is bigger than my dad's deli on 3rd Street. Sitting with my back leaning against the toilet's rim, I stare at a pair of spotless black vans with pink bunny-tied laces on the other side of the stall's door. Yo, you good? Sweets asks. I burp, tasting acid as I hold back a coughing fit. All good in here. Then why did you run off? She crouches down, glaring at me through the gap beneath the door. Her makeup is dark and jagged and fucking scary. Last-minute donations are big, you know that. That drama was playing great, and then you just dip to cry in the bathroom? I'm not crying, I say. I don't give a shit, Sweet says, on all fours, scowling now. If people think you were crying, you were crying. And if people think we are together, you being a pussy makes me look bad. Well, we wouldn't want that. No, we would not. Now get out here. I pull myself up. As I do, somebody comes into the bathroom. Must be a server or security because Sweets tells them to fuck right off. When I open the door and come out, Sweets is leaning against the granite sink countertop with both her arms and legs crossed. You done with your existential crisis? We have work to do. In the climate-ravaged year of 2072, the city of Pura stands as a miraculous green haven, a geoengineered paradise that protects fortunate residents from the global catastrophes of heat domes, fires, floods, and droughts. Demetria Lopez heads up Pura's public relations, tirelessly promoting the city's idyllic image. But when she stumbles upon a dark secret that, if exposed, would be the downfall of Pura's existence, she must decide who and what she is willing to protect. From Wondery, the makers of Academy and Dr. Death, The Last City stars actors Rhea Seahorn, Jeannie Tirado, and Maury Sterling. Follow The Last City on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts. You can binge all episodes of The Last City early and ad-free right now by joining Wondery Plus. Before joining Bright House, Sweets was a 5'1 mixed girl who made viral dance videos. Now she has her own makeup brand and a cosmetic surgery named after her. She looks like a demigod, although not a nice one. The light in the bathroom is hitting her skin just right, revealing all the scars on her thighs and calves. She earned every one of them over the past 11 months, ever since making it to the house. I am going to go find Blackjack, I tell her, clearing my throat. <clears throat> Need to talk to him. Sweets laughs, but stops suddenly when she realizes I'm serious. No. No, you don't. I do, I say, trying to sound as tough as I did outside. I have spent the last month pretending to hate my best friend. I don't want the last thing I say to him to be trash talk. For our route tomorrow, Blackjack and I have been cooking up a feud for weeks. Sweets has been in on the whole thing, siphoning off clout to get herself more patrons. 
Although she and Blackjack have been Facebook officials since getting to Bright House, I have never seen them say more than a sentence to one another off camera. I go towards the door. She slides past me and blocks my way. The air around us smells like juniper as Sweets puts a hand on my chest. If you want, we can go back to my room. Just us. No cameras. Staring at her parted lips, I think about how the teeth hidden behind them bit off a girl's finger two weeks ago. Snapped it right off above the first joint. Fair play in the sand. Sweets got off the hex and spat the finger into the crowd, blood pouring down her neck like a wide-rimmed tie. It was all over the internet for a week. If we go back to her room, Sweets will record every second of it. Nah, I need to find Blackjack. Whatever, suit yourself, she says, fronting her cool vibe like a suit of armor. I have a read on her, though. Sweets is disappointed. All eddies are fragile underneath our shells, and she doesn't want to be alone with the crowd outside the house. The night after Sweets chomped that girl's finger, we went out for burgers in the limo. Crammed into the back, that red tie still staining her chest, she wouldn't stop singing songs while Sam Chaser threw french fries out the window. Later, though, after we got back to the house, Sweets disappeared into the showers and stayed inside for an hour. Showers are a great escape because the bathroom cameras have low definition, so it can be hard for patrons to tell when we're crying. I leave the bathroom and pass through the kitchen where the ready twins are sitting on the counter, drunkenly answering questions over TikTok Live. They're two pretty boys who wear diamonds so big that they have names. Until a month ago, you couldn't tell the twins apart, but the giant bandage over Billy's eye has sort of fucked with their aesthetic. Moving through the first floor to the staircase, I pass the arcade room and sauna. On my way to the fire escape on the third floor, I go down a hallway lined with Eddie's rooms. Most everybody is outside, but a few are in their rooms talking to patrons on camera, all using their second voices. A little higher for the girls. Always deeper for the boys. The fire escape has a lock on it, which sort of defeats the purpose, but Blackjack broke it a long time ago, so he could chill out there on the roof. It's dark up there, which is nice. Bright House earned its name because day or night, the lights never go out. Every corner of the building is perfectly lit for content. When Blackjack and I arrived here 20 months ago, we were guided through the main doors by a dozen dudes in black suits, white ties, and shoes so polished they reflected all the house's lights. The suits sat us down on a white couch in an all-white lobby. Bright House looks like the sort of modern mansion where the nastiest porn gets made. Its lobby has a chandelier the size of a Bugatti, which hung over us as the suits had us sign an eight-inch stack of papers, liability waivers and NDAs, the whole time, I was positive that chandelier was going to fall and crush us. I still worry about it sometimes. Blackjack just sat there on the couch looking dazed, wearing his one pair of jeans that didn't quite fit anymore. His hair needed a wash. We were one step above street rats and had just been given a spot at a house that churned out millionaires on a monthly basis. When the suits asked if we wanted to go pick out cars from a nearby dealership, Blackjack just swallowed and told him in a soft voice that he would like to see his room. I find Blackjack on the roof in his boxers with a gun in his lap. It's an engraved pistol the size of his head, which Blackjack 
mainly poses with in disc videos. The suits have warned him not to come up to the roof, but that's just a good way to make sure he keeps doing it. I have to walk carefully on my way over to him, because there is a lot of stuff that Eddie's, most gone now, threw up from the lawn. Broken bottles, solo cups, bottle rockets, and the shattered upper half of a MacBook Pro. The black eye of his pistol watches my approach. As I sit down next to him, Blackjack passes me a Wix energy. The 30-ounce can is warm, its flavor labeled Tropic Nasty. I crack it open and swig down the salty mix of caffeine and alcohol. Mmm, nothing as wicked as that first sip. This slogan is basically my catchphrase. In all official Bright House videos, we have to say it at least once. Blackjack only grunts, not looking over. He's a tall guy with a naturally thick build that's only gotten thicker from all his weightlifting. Only his sad boy eyes, drooping and ringed with dark bags, conflict with his alpha aesthetic. What most people first notice about Blackjack is the scar on his face, a slash that starts beneath his left eye and runs across his lip to the right side of his jaw. When he smiles, it looks like a pair of scissors are opening. The scissors are closed tight right now. Below us, the party continues, loud and bright and full of motion. Someone bought Skilla a solid gold flamingo statue for her birthday, and she's sitting on it in short shorts while cameras flash from every angle. Up here, we are in the shadow of it all. You know what I hate? Blackjack says, holding up an empty can. Wicks energy. This stuff tastes like if piss could piss. I tense. Say anything in Bright House, but never badmouth a sponsor. No cameras. Not up here. Blackjack says like he's reading my mind. I go kind of hollow hearing this. Because what's the point of talking if no one's watching? Having spent my life getting patrons and building a brand... I've somehow become the human version of a tree falling in the woods. I wasn't always like this. When Blackjack and I were transplants from Atlanta, we would sit up in our east side apartment and talk bullshit for hours. We met on a forum when we were 12, six years ago, each hoping to become famous enough to one day be invited to an Eddie house. In the first few years, we made any kind of content we could, while participating in rows that only had views in the double digits. After my first loss three years ago, which left me needing 20 stitches in my thigh, Blackjack poured whiskey on the cut in the alley behind the bar where it all happened. I was so drunk that all I did was laugh. Things have changed since getting into Bright House, since our names have filled magazine covers and patrons come crawling to us. Our brands have diverged. All the stories either of us make are vetted, manicured, and decided on by the suits, like the beef between us right now. The numbers have been so good, crazy good, to the point that last week Blackjack's goons jumped me while I was leaving the Grove, and I'm fucking his fake girlfriend. We have avoided each other, insulted one another, and crossed every line our managers can suss out. It's gotten to the point that I have no idea what part of me is playing a character and what part is real. Did you watch Nolan's last video? Blackjack asks, which throws me off. I haven't thought about Nolan for a hot second. Why is he hung up on last week's row when we have one coming up tomorrow?
Of course not, I say. Hearing Nolan's name is strange. When he was alive, everybody knew him as Zuz. When you're dead, though, you're not a brand anymore. You're just a... Nolan. You shouldn't watch that kind of stuff, man. I never look at the other Eddie's pages, especially the dead ones. There is a whole graveyard of us across the internet. It was this stream, Blackjack says, not listening. His eyes are golden as he stares down at the lawn. Some patron shouting leading up to our row. Nolan was saying thanks to everybody who gave him five bucks or more. He sat in the lounge with the chandelier above him, blowing kisses and calling out names for 20 minutes. The video's still up. He's still giving those kisses. Blackjack lifts his pistol and aims it at the pine trees across the way, which are filled with ravens waiting to raid the buffet once the house goes quiet. Did he like all those names? He killed for them. But who are they? Like, really? Who the fuck are they? He puts his finger inside the trigger guard and holds it there. You gonna shoot the birds, man? I can go get a camera. Blackjack screws up his face. The scissors close tighter. He tosses the gun and lets it bounce down the roof slant. It almost goes over the edge before sliding to a stop. Nolan kept trying to get up, even after his throat was... Like if he just stood up, he could get back to blowing those kisses on the couch. Nolan kept trying to get up. Shit, Blackjack is going through a gnarly postgame. I had it once too. After my first win by Flatline, I spent the next three days in the arcade room playing Centipede until I had to take the machine apart just to get my quarters back so I could keep playing. It's been a week though. Careers are made in a week. Names are earned and lost. Blackjack needs to move on. He scoots across the tiles like he might be going for the pistol but then just stops and rests his elbows on his knees. After a second, he looks back at me as if he's expecting me to say something. If this was on stream, he'd be emoting hard and I'd be making some face for the thumbnail. Only Blackjack's expression is blank and his eyes are glassy. And he says, I want to go home. Danny. Do it. I want to say. Go home. You have money. You don't need this. Only once the cameras roll and the world sees you, really sees you, leaving is not an option. Beyond the money, beyond everyone knowing the Danny West brand, beyond my dad thinking of me as the family's patron saint, it's being seen that keeps me here. That keeps all of us here. We aren't just kids at Bright House. We are Eidolons. All I can do is look back at Blackjack wanting more than anything for it to be tomorrow, for our row to be over, for us to be buds again. I notice something behind him, hidden beneath a slightly upturned roof tile, a tiny round camera lens. The sight of it makes my chest go warm. Thank God. This is content after all. Wrapping an arm around Blackjack, I squeeze him tight and put on my best smile. Man, we are home. The staging room is a lonely place. It's the next morning. I just weighed in at 193. After taking photos with fans on the red carpet inside the convention center, I go to the staging rooms alone. Staging rooms are quiet places with sound-sealed walls and low light. 
the one place suits give us a moment to breathe. At the center of the room is a circular table with velvet inserts. Everything my patrons bought for me lays on the velvet. I stand over my hall, which is not great. What we wear into the hex is entirely funded by patrons. The only free gear is the manica, a four-pound metal glove with Kevlar stitching that protects our dominant arm. The manica also works as a weapon in a pinch. Everything else, painkillers, weapons, replacements, support, and armor, all of it, bought by the people who love me online. In the center of the velvet is a 30-inch blade with a hook bent along its snout, which is my favorite weapon. The knife comes in at around 75 grand and looks exotic, almost like something a mall ninja would buy, but it is a deadly motherfucker that can hook ankles and yank shields. I lift it up, sliding it through the air a few times before looking back down at a silky pair of gym shorts and two extra-strength painkillers. That's it. I really should have done that brand deal with the meal kit company. It's still three minutes before I go live. My phone is full of tweets and DMs, but not a single text. After I perform the breathing exercises Doc Leiter taught me, I do ballistic and static stretches. One minute. I put on the manica, which is calming as the straps hug my arm. And then I pop the painkillers before staring at myself in the mirror. I'm 18, but I've been told I look twice that. My name is not Danny West. Going to the brass doors on the far side of the room, I nod to the plaque above them with a Latin phrase stamped in some fancy font. Dissident in Lucium et Fiant Deuce. Two thousand miles away, my dad and half-brother are watching from above the deli. Matt is probably sitting where I sat when I watched my first row. I miss them. Miss my old street. Miss not having anything in my jean pockets and being hungry for attention. Swinging open the doors, I step out into madness. There are lights everywhere, countless cameras and waving arms, a tide of screaming faces and stands below a black ceiling. My manager flanks my left as I march towards the hex, slapping my shoulder, yelling out stats that I can hear and don't care about. Not at this point. Other eddies stand along the walkway. A few are bleeding or concussed, but all of them are glowing. Their rows are over. The arena is small today, just for duos. It stands hoisted 30 feet above the crowd with plexiglass walls, giving perfect shots for the rotating cameras. I whoop and beat my chest. The audience in the stands doesn't matter. It's the cameras we play for. Blackjack is already in the hex. The dude is wearing an easy million, maybe two. His upper body is covered in plate armor sprayed golden, while his face is hidden behind a grid mask. He's got his Japanese war hammer, a kanabo in his left hand, and a shield with razor-sharp edges in his right. I'm naked in comparison. My style is loud and confident, though, so I keep it up. Normally, I have the money to drug myself up so I don't feel cuts. Today, though, everything feels too real. I jump against the glass and lick it before pulling myself over the barrier and dropping into the gray sand made of microplastics. We sidle up, facing off in the overhead lights. The announcers call out our handles and patron counts, welcoming the audience to an official Eidolon. 
The digital ticker on the far wall tells me 700,000 people are watching. Not bad, but not great. We can do better. There is a reason the Eidolon Arena Association has turned our sport into 21st century America's favorite pastime. Eidolon knows what people want. People want heroes, heartbreak, bad motherfuckers crashing into bad motherfuckers, and to never see the same thing twice. Above all, they want it to be real. All of it. Blackjack and I begin to circle, moving around the hex and spiraling towards one another. It gives us time to watch the others form, see how each of us are moving today, and to psych ourselves up. We come together fast and sudden, making the crowd shriek. I swing low because Blackjack's got less armor on his legs, but he and I train together so he knows my moves. He slips away and takes a half-hearted swing at my head. I duck and weave. We break apart and come back together in short, violent frenzies. Performance is first, gotta make a show of it. Flashy, almost light. We turn around and wave, double back and block. It has to be fun. Until the moment, it isn't. I can tell that for all his talk last night, Blackjack has moved on from his post-game blues. He's keeping his footwork clean, not letting me draw out while also trying to reel me in. He is fast, at top form. Better than me? I think about Nolan, about the blood pumping from his neck as he tried to raise his hand and give a thumbs up, as if the show could go on. I won't be like him. Getting in close, I slash at Blackjack's face mask. Sparks fly. The sound is beautiful, better than music, because it only comes once. My knife breaks, but also manages to cut a gouge out of his helmet, big enough where I can see one of his eyes. Blackjack shoves forward, forcing my arm, and I slam against him, hugging him, not letting him get enough leverage to use his club. We lean against one another, taking time to catch our breaths and look over the other shoulder at the tickers. The row has almost three million views which is good. Solid. Nolan died for half that. If we were smart, we'd end it now. Only one in ten rows end with a flat line, but I can see in Blackjack's eyes that he wants to push this further. Good. So do I. If we're lucky, we might hit five million. I slip back. He swings his club down, grazing the top of my hair at the weight of its draft, slapping my chin against my chest. I stumble back as the club explodes into the sand. A camera flashes somewhere, catches us just right. Hoping to get a cut in before he recovers, I dive forward, only my balance is off. I miss and suddenly his club is crashing against my ankle. Pain rockets through my leg like a nuke went off inside my bones. I stumble, hit the wall, and then I'm lying in the sand holding my leg. Blackjack towers over me. I switch to BJJ and try to get him in a leg lock, but he jumps back. I roll, legs up, and we swivel, round and round. We're at four and a half million. Blackjack swings. He connects with my knee. Something shatters. The pain is enough to make me tear up, but I grab the club and use it to pull myself back to my feet. My entire right leg is useless, so I grip Blackjack tight and use him to support myself. Call it, he whispers. You call it. I hiss at the eye I can see. He shakes his head in response. We are not the two boys from the roof. We are Blackjack and Danny West. 
Eidolons with 13 million patrons between us. I push him off, doubling back to the wall, dragging my leg and getting a new blade. There are enough views to pay for it. My manager says we can stop. I probably have some fractures and can take the loss. It will be my third loss ever. I ignore him. Gripping the new knife, I look back at Blackjack, hidden in all that armor, with his club slung over his shoulder. If I want to win, I need to end this before the painkillers wear off. We circle again, closing the distance fast. I throw all my weight forward with my one good leg, lunging forward at least five feet. I swing and my knife hooks with his club. Blackjack is moving so fast that when I pull, I bring him stumbling straight into me. When I bring my blade into the soft flesh of his armpit between the plates of his armor, it is for show. It is the last part of our beef, the logical conclusion. I have to move the point just right. I have to move his weight and my leverage to drive it deeper. He tries to back away and I hold us together. That one eye watches me and his knees shake and slowly give out. As Blackjack hits the floor, I can't hear the crowd because I'm crying. There's a dead body at my feet. My friend. I can't let the crowd see, so I cover my face and act like I'm wiping away sweat. I turn, wobble, and fall into the sand. My leg feels like it's on fire. Like my entire body is about to burst into flames. Laying there, I picture sitting in the apartment with my dad, wrapped up in a Winnie the Pooh blanket as we watch a row on the old flat screen. My dad was glued to his phone, but looked up long enough during the weigh-ins to say, if that boy's smile drops, he is dead. Someone grabs me and pulls me up. It's my manager. He's shouting, laughing. I don't understand why he's so happy until I look at the ticker and see the view count. 10 million. There are 10 million concurrent viewers. I stare up at the cameras as they swivel, catching every angle of my body, showing the world Danny West. And suddenly the tears streaming down my cheeks aren't for Blackjack. I am smiling now, Dad. I hope you can see it. Hidden Signal Eidolon is narrated by Ashton Harold, written by Bentley Reese, directed by Lawrence Zanelli, executive produced by Rob Herding, Sandra Yi Ling, and Shin Yin Hi Yu, co-producers Lawrence Zanelli, Sarah Ma, and Tom Breck, original score and composition by Darren Johnson, audio engineering and editing by Sarah Ma, script supervisor Tom Breck. Special thanks to Jack Friedman and Nick Shanks. This podcast was recorded under a SAG-AFTRA collective bargaining agreement. Hidden Signal is a Q-Code production. Sound recording copyright 2023 by Q-Code Media Inc.
Get ready for Tangents with Tyler and Todd, a brand new podcast that will be the newest addition to your weekly routine. Hi, I'm Tyler. And I'm Todd, and we're your hosts, ready to dive in headfirst as we explore life's biggest questions. We were kind of caught up in other people's goals of what's normal. And not for a moment did we let up the gas enough to think, what do we want? While giving ourselves permission to go completely off the rails. I don't think that dildo is, you can make it an adjective. Dildoine? Yeah. Did I do that or did they? It's giving comedy show with a sprinkle of soul searching on top. Premiering October 18th, Tangents with Tyler and Todd is your new go-to podcast that will make you laugh, cry, and question everything. With new episodes every Wednesday, get ready to laugh, learn, and grow with us every week. Tangents is coming and you won't want to miss this. Mark your calendars for October 18th and subscribe to Tangents with Tyler and Todd wherever you listen to your podcasts. Welcome to a journey into the heart of the Texas Renaissance Festival, the nation's largest and rowdiest celebration of medieval fantasy. But what lurks beneath the facade of tights and turkey legs? Well, we dove deep into the empire to uncover a history marred by mystery and misconduct, murders, assaults, and other crimes that tarnish its legacy. This isn't just a fairy tale, it's a cautionary tale of power, fantasy, and the consequences that follow when they all collide. Search for Crime Waves Renaissance Texas on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you're listening now.